everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and thank you so much for joining us. And we are in the middle of a series. We're talking about the six commitments that everyone needs to make um, in order to have a healthy, growing church and to be a healthy, growing person inside of that church. And so this is the fifth one. And if you're just now catching us, I encourage you to stop this and go back to the very first one, kind of work your way through all six of these, where we're just kind of talking about these essential commitments. Because too often, I feel like we kind of are in church and we're just like, we think attendance is really all that's necessary. Maybe attendance and giving. That church is something that we watch happen or church is something that we bring people to, but we don't recognize and really believe that we each have an essential role to play. But if we want to have a healthy, vibrant church, it is really going to take more than just quality staff, a quality band, quality teaching. So it'll take more than that. It's going to take the full participation of everyone who is a part. And I think it is important for us to just kind of always be reminding and rehearsing and encouraging with each other these commitments that we need to make to one another. And so, uh, again, this is number five. So the first four, first one we talked about was connecting. Really, these come from the great commandments where Jesus said the greatest things you can do is love God and to love others. And so the first commitment that I think that we need to make as a church is to be connected, be connected to God, pursuing a love connected relationship with God, and then to love um, others well within the church. And we do that through our connection on Sunday mornings and participating in that and being connected to a small group where we've got a smaller group of people to hold us accountable and encourage us. And so God has called us these two, these greatest commands are relational commands and to be in good relationship with one another. So we do that with God, and we do that with our church through our Sunday morning worship connection and our connection in a small group. Second one we talked about is giving. Um, it is obviously the, the fundraising mechanism for the church as a whole. It's an essential thing. It's the only way the church can do any of the things that, um, that we've been asked to do is, is through our financial contributions. But in addition to that, it is something that God commands from us. Um, God blesses us when we do it. And it is an incredible, um, eternal investment to invest in the lives of and the souls of people. Third, uh, we talked about serving. That it is important to serve. It, in order for church to happen, it takes more than a staff. It takes a lot of volunteers. And it, we all need to be a part. And what we are able to do um, is enhanced by the number of people who are willing to serve the church in some way. Um, I think it is important to not only come to church with an attitude of what I can get, but also to to what I can give. I had a great experience, and God used me to let others have a great experience. And so we find a place to serve inside the church. But I also think it's important for us as people of a church to be serving well in our community and world as well. And then last time we talked about the importance of prayer, just developing a prayer life, that having that spiritual connection and relationship with God but also praying for our church, for the spiritual health of the people, and praying for the well-being of, of the pastors and leaders of the church. And that really prayer brings God's presence, and God's presence is really, is really the power that the church has to really change people's lives. Because changing people's lives is something that God does, not that programming does. And so now here we are at number five. I will, I will connect, give, serve, pray. Number five, protect. And it's the one that probably is the least intuitive. It's like, hey, number five, we need to protect your church. And like, I don't necessarily know what that means. 
So just imagine kind of this parenthetical, I'm going to protect the reputation of my church. The shorthand that I use for this is, you know, like you want, you want to act in such a way that you're not going to, that you're going to give the church a good reputation. You're not going to embarrass the church in some way. The the simplest illustration is if you put a, a one of those Jesus fish on the back of your car or you put a, um, a Grove Church sticker on the back of your car, that should inform in some ways the way that you drive at a minimum. Don't flip people off. Don't be raging at people, right? I mean, don't, don't do that. I mean, it's my, my, I mean, I got a real life example of this. This was a few years ago. My wife is driving down college there uh, near Fiesta Square at that stoplight. And she takes a picture of this car in front of her. It's got all the, all the Christian bumper stickers, all the ones you can imagine. You know, uh, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, all the, all the, all the ones. She takes a picture of this. She sends it to me. And the caption with this picture that my wife sends to me is, guess who just flipped me off on college? Which, you know, my wife and I can share a laugh laugh at for a little while, but it's actually pretty frustrating. I mean, obviously, it didn't discourage my wife's faith to see some person who claims to be a Christian flip her off in traffic. But the reality of it is my wife isn't the only person who saw that. There were plenty of people um, on College Avenue that day that got to see the, uh, the Jesus car flip somebody off on College Avenue. And that just doesn't do God, the church, Jesus, any, it doesn't do any of us any favors. In fact, it reinforces this idea that way too many non-Christians have about the church. And there's this thing that I'll do. I'll do it on Sunday mornings occasionally. I always do it at Connections. And say, you know, hey, you're, imagine you're trying to Im- invite one of your friends to church. Say, hey, you want to come to church with me sometime? Like, no, I don't want to do that. And you say, why not? And they say, I don't want to go to church because church is full of, and then I kind of pause and I was like, what do they say? And I've never had anybody miss this question. They are uh, hypocrites, is what they say. Yeah. No one misses that because it is such a common thought that's out there. So then I ask this question. And sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't because it feels a little loaded or the answer feels a little scary. I ask the question, why? Why do they think that the church is full of hypocrites? And of course, the right answer is because it's true. And it's true, but there are, there are hypocrites there. And again, I'm not talking about that the church has people who are sinners in it. We want the church to have sinners in it. There's a difference between being a sinner and being a hypocrite. Write that down somewhere. It's important. But... um. The, a, a, hip, a hypocrite, you know, someone who claims to be something and, and to be on a certain level and then isn't, right? My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Your boss would fire you if you flip somebody off in traffic, especially if he's that particular Jewish carpenter, right? Um, a, a, a hypocrite is something different who, who is intentionally living out different values than the one that they say that they have, right? That's a hypocrite. Um, so, and then I say, okay, so it's true. And that's like, why is it true? And why is here's the thing is it's not generally true to them. It's not generally true. It's not generally true. It's specific. They have a story. They have a very specific story. They, um, they don't, they're not just have some vague awareness. They have a story and they will tell you that story or stories. Um, you don't have to be on social media or follow enough of the right people to, to see they, they, they were, Man, especially on Twitter, man, they love to recount these stories that people, non-Christians will have with Christians who have hurt them in some way, people who proclaim to be Christians and live by certain values and hurt. These stories, these stories are out there. These, these stories, they make the headlines, right? Of, of, of churches covering up terrible things, pastors stealing money, pastors abusing people in some way, pastors just being big time jerks, right? 
these 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 things are they're everywhere. There are podcasts dedicated to this. There's a, there there are fictional shows that are that are based around this. This is out there. People have these stories. And so my greatest encouragement is as you're trying to put your mind around what I mean by what does it mean to protect the reputation of your church is say, don't be someone else's story. Don't be someone else's story. Don't, don't be a story where, well, you won't believe it. there's this one person. They said they were Christian and they went to the Grove Church and they bought da 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 and tell some story about how you cheated them in some business deal or, or you did something harmful to someone in their family. Don't, don't be someone else's story. And this is a story that I like to tell. This story is, wow, that's why I'm probably pushing close to 10 years old now. Um, I was at a, um, I was at the deli counter of a local grocery store and um, I, I, I treat even like big, big stores like, like, like Target or Walmart. I, treat, I, I treat them like convenience stores. I'm trying to get three things. I'm never going anywhere trying to get 20 things. I'm trying to get two, three, three things, get out, right? So really, I was only there to get uh, this Cajun turkey that I really liked that I was eating a lot of at the time. And so I was trying to go to the deli counter and get this, but the line's really long. And there are people working there. And by working, I mean, they were standing there with employee badges, but nothing was happening. They were talking to each other. I was getting really frustrated. And what should have taken five minutes suddenly was taking 30. And finally, the line starts moving. And I get up there and the person looks at me after having waited for 30 minutes. They look at me and I swear to you, they go, what do you want? I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know how your brain works. Somebody after something like that, you talk to me that way. I mean, there was, I had a lot of creative, I had a lot of creative answers to that question about what I wanted, but I swallowed them in that moment and just said, I would like a pound of Cajun turkey uh, sliced on one, please. Immediately after I say that, this woman that I would have said to you, I'd never seen in my life walks up to me and says, hi, um, I've been coming to your church for the last couple of weeks. You probably don't know who I am. I just want you to know that me and my family have really enjoyed it. I want to say thank you. And then she walked away. And my heart was just like, wow, that could have gone very, very differently. It could have gone very differently. If I had, in a moment of frustration, communicated my frustration uh, to the the deli worker, um, I'm pretty sure that that woman would not have then come up to me and said, man, I'm going to, Tell this guy how much I like his church. She probably wouldn't have said anything. And I certainly would imagine she probably wouldn't have come back to the church if she'd seen this pastor that she thought she liked act like an idiot um, at a grocery store. Uh, but instead, you know, they came, came, in for, come, came for a while and became a key leader in our, um, our children's ministry and are still a part of the church 10 years later. And I could have ruined it in a moment. I could have ruined it in a moment. I could have been a story. And that's the thing is we're trying not to be someone else's story. So what specific, let's talk a little, kind of just dive in a little more to the specifics. When we say we're trying to protect the church's reputation, um, first, I think at, at its simplest, we want to love one another. We want to be known as a place that we love each other well. I mean, Jesus says this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And so I asked the rhetorical question, like, how do you feel like we're doing? Um, how do you feel like you're doing? How do you feel like we're doing at the Grove? How do you feel like Christians in general are doing? Do you feel like Christians are known as a group of people that love each other well? Or are we typically known as a group that are divisive and hurtful to one another? Is there a lot of infighting? And I'm not just talking about within a particular church. I'm talking about from church to church. In fact, I think too often we're not known for that. But it is important for us to be known for that. And, and we, can't, we can't fix right now here 
where we are. We cannot fix the worldwide problems that the capital C church has. And whatever degree the problems, whatever problems may exist at the Grove Church right now, you can't fix those. But what we can do is we can start with each other. I can start with me. I start with me. I can love people well. I can be not divisive. I can love others well. And then if we all decide to do that, then the Grove Church can be known for that. And then it can spread from there. Because I believe that love is incredibly contagious. And we want to be known as that. In Romans 15, Paul says this, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement. This is obviously something that God does. God helps people get through difficult times, have endurance, and, and a God who encourages people, right? So this is something that God does. He gives endurance and courage. So the God that does that, may he give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is an encourager. God helps people have endurance. Jesus has that same sort of attitude. May God give that to us. Why? So that we can be one, have one mind and one voice, and we can bring glory to God and to Jesus. This is what he has called us to. And it begins with our attitude of love toward each other. Um, secondly, um, we love one another. And secondly, we honor, we honor leadership. Now, this has not historically been a problem at the Grove. I mean, it happens from time to time. And I'm not saying that we don't, we can't disagree about things or that you can't be frustrated. Hey, I don't know that I liked what you said, or you wish that we were going, doing something different, going in a different direction in the church than we, than we are. I get that. That's not what I'm saying. But the way that we speak and talk about the church and the way that we, are, are, are we overly critical? Are we divisive? Do we fight? I mean, the church, the, church, one of the church I grew up in, and we had these business meetings and some of the worst things I've ever heard Christians say or do to one another or happen in church business meetings. I don't know if you've ever had this kind of experience, but I remember this one Sunday. We had, we, it, was, it, was Sunday it was Wednesday. We had these business meetings once a month on Wednesdays, and we did everything there. It was by congregational vote. And typically on a Wednesday night, there might be 40 people there. On a business meeting Wednesday, there might be 25, 30, because it was always like the first Wednesday or whatever. I'm rolling up there one Wednesday and I'm 12, maybe, maybe 12. And I walk in there and, and all of a sudden, I mean, there are hundreds, 200 probably people in, in, in the room for, um, for the business meeting. Now, I wasn't, you know, I was 12. What do I know? But even at 12, I knew whatever this is about to be, this is about to be, this is about to be incredible. And, um, and so all of a sudden it starts up and then there is just fighting. There's just fighting, yelling and accusing people of dishonoring God, accusing people of being wasteful and, and not really caring about being a good steward and just, you're not being faithful to God. And you laugh, I mean, just, I mean, just these horrible accusations back and forth. And, um, and so then after just what was seemed like a really long time of really raucous discussion, I mean, I don't know if you, have you ever, uh, ever watched the British parliament? I mean, that's some good stuff. I mean, we got, they got all these rules for decorum, like in the house of representatives and the Senate and stuff. I mean, they'll heckle you in the British parliament. They get, they get, are banging on the table and yelling. It's actually pretty fascinating. Anyways, it was a lot like that. 
And finally, so after several minutes of this, the pastor kind of brings it to us. Well, now I have to vote. And we did it by secret ballot, which never happened. It was always just saying I for things that were pretty obvious. And then for other things, we might have to raise a hand if we thought, you know, count the hands or whatever. This was secret ballot. Maybe there was afraid there was going to be violence. I don't know. But anyway, it was secret ballot. And I swear to you, I am not lying. I swear to you. They take out the little ballots. They come back. He comes back with the pastor comes back with the little note after the, the deacons or whatever had counted. And it is 50-50 on the dot, on the dot, 50-50. It is insane. God was clearly trying to mess with some folks that day. And so then uh, the pastor gets up there and says, well, I guess with a really contentious issue like this, he got to break the tie. That's the way our, our rules work. He broke the tie. And um, I said, in a really contentious issue like this, I feel like the best thing that we can do is just to maintain the status quo and not make the change. And so now, of course, you're wondering, like, what was the issue? You've told us the story, but you didn't tell us what the issue was. It was whether or not, see, the church had a bus. It was a really big bus. Did we also want to get a van for shorter, smaller trips? That was it. That was it. It was, most, it was one, of the most, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And it was over the purchase of a van. And I'm just saying, I think we can do a little better than that. I think we need to do a little bit better than that. That like, we can disagree. We can be not sure about certain things. We don't have to fight. We don't have to fight. We can disagree, but not fight. I know we live in a world where that just seems like more and more that that's impossible. But I think as God's people, if we're going to protect his reputation, we can do better than that. We can love each other well, and we can disagree about things without having to fight about it. And finally, okay, protect your church by loving one another, by honoring leadership. And then three, just big picture by living a godly life in general. Again, it's just kind of this idea about um, not being somebody, somebody else's story. And so in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this, Matthew five, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So the description that Jesus is giving of his followers right here, you are salt and you are light. And salt means something a little different to us, but salt, salt for them, I mean, it's kind of, it was, you know, it's just, it was a seasoning, right? I mean, to, to the degree that it is for us as well, but it was also a preservative. It was a way of kind of keeping before they had electricity, before they had real refrigeration, salt was a way to kind of preserve things. And so what salt was meant to do was to give flavor and to preserve. And so that's why he said, that's what you are to the world, right? You are bringing life and you are preserving it. You're bringing flavor. This is who you are. And he says, and if, and if, and if salt can't be salt, then what good is it? Well, you just throw it on the ground. I mean, like for the, I mean, it's not, not for us, it'd be like, what good is salt then if it can't be salt? I mean, I guess you can, you can use it as de-icer, I guess. I mean, you can put it on the, you can put it on the, the ground for, or to kind of help mud not get too muddy so the horses can go over. And I guess if it's all, salt's not salt, you're light, you're light. You're supposed to be light, bringing light to a dark place. You don't put it under a bowl. You don't hide light. You shine. And in the same way, you don't 
put a bowl over a candle. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The way that we live should bring light to dark places. It should bring light to the world so that they can see who you are and what you do. And because of what they see, they're going to look and say, God must be real. That is what Jesus is saying. When people see your life and the things that you do, they will see because of who you are and how you live that God must be real. And I told you that story about that thing that happened at the, um, the deli counter. You know, things like that happen to me a lot. You know, I get, I get recognized more than, than I realize probably even you know, people see me. I'm not sure who that is. People come talk to me and I don't know who they are. People, people know. I mean, even people I've never met will, will look at me and they, they know that I'm a pastor. Maybe they've seen me speak somewhere before or they just know. People just seem to know these things, right? And so people are always watching. People are always watching. And, and a lot of pastors complain about this, like they live in a fishbowl. I mean, like, man, you're a fish, man. What do you expect, man? You live in a fishbowl. And if you're going to live in a fishbowl, people are going to be outside the fishbowl looking at fish. That's the life. That's the life. That's the life of a pastor. People are watching. And I'm telling you, it's not just the life of a pastor. It's the life of all of us. If you're going to say, I represent Jesus and his church, people are going to watch you. But you have to ask this. Do you think people are watching me? Do you think people are watching you because they want you to fail or because they want you to succeed? I think people think, oh, they're watching. I'm in this fishbowl and they're watching because they're waiting for me to fail because they want me to fail. I promise you, with rare exceptions, that is not what people want. People in a hopeless, salt-free, light-free, dark, flavorless, decaying world want salt and light to be real. They want Jesus to be real. They want there to be a place where hope and life can be found. And they are watching you to see if it's real, not to see that it's fake. They want to see that it's real. And you may think, man, man, that happens to you all the time. Yeah, but that happens to you because you're a pastor. I'm not a pastor. And let me tell you this. I'll say it this way. It may happen to me more than it happens to you because I'm a pastor. But I promise you, it happens to you more intensely than it happens to me. I have a lot of people looking at me a little bit. You've got a couple of people in your life that are looking deeply and exclusively only at you, a family member, a neighbor, a friend at work, someone who is hurting in some way, someone who is looking for hope in life. They're watching you. And again, they're not wanting you to fail. They're wanting you to win. And they're wanting to see that Jesus is real because that's what Matthew 5 says that the world is looking for. They are looking for this. And, they, and, if, and if they will see who Jesus really can help us become, they will give glory and praise to Jesus. But we have to take this commitment very seriously for our church, for Jesus, for God, for the church at large, that we are going to make a commitment to protect the reputation of Jesus and his church by loving each other, by not being, by not being you know, honoring leadership, not fighting when we disagree, and by just living a good and godly life out in the world. So we got five now, connecting, giving, serving, praying, and protecting the reputation of the church. These are five of the six, I believe, essential commitments that we need to be able to make to one each other to be a healthy person in a healthy church. So thank you so much for joining us. And if you are local, we would love to see you sometime on a Sunday morning. You can find us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect, get the address, service times, those kinds of things. We would love to see you. If you are not local, you can still go to that same website, fill out a little form there, let us know that you've been watching. 
You can join us online if you'd like sometime on a Sunday morning. We stream our 1030 service live every week, and we would love to meet you, whether you're local or not, and help you in any way that we can. Please let us know. Again, this is Charlie Lofton at the Grove Church with the Cultivate Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.